turn there. We'll read together starting in verse 43. It'll be on the screen. If you wouldn't mind reading it from your Bible, or we have Bibles on the back. You know, and just as we get into God's Word this morning, you know, just this week when I'm just, you know, as you engage in different things in the world and just as you go about your day-to-day, like, we see so many things. Maybe it's at your workplace. Maybe it's in the things that you deal with. You know, like I, I think about our, you know, guys like Josh and, and, and Rob who are in the, you know, law enforcement. People you who are teachers and, and doing different things. Like you're dealing with people and you're dealing with people on a regular basis. And sometimes within that context, even in our school system, you see some of the worst things about humanity. You know, and just as, as the reality of our world moves further away from God, I pray that we can feel this, this compassion for the broken, this compassion for that dying world around us, and hope that the songs that we sing this morning, you know, when we, we talk about that the sermon starts when we start singing, like we're singing words that we believe, we're singing truths that we hold, hold on to, but I pray that these are things overflowing from within us, and so as we hear God's word this morning, and as we move through the rest of this, I pray that we can just be challenged so much within our own hearts to just to just see what it is God has for us this morning, because this text speaks so clearly to me on so many different levels as far as my own brokenness, and then as we pray, and we ask God to just speak through the leaders who are teaching our children this morning, even if all they're doing is sitting on the floor with our babies and just loving on them, like Christian love is the love greater than any other type of love because it's a love that has true concern for the object of its love and Christ has shown us that through his love and death for us and so as we pray I pray that we can just allow God to just humble our hearts and our minds and allow us to just be just be prepared for his truths in our day-to-day listen I I don't have anything extravagant to show you this morning I'm I'm not an entertainer I don't I'm not going to show you anything earth-shattering but what I do believe because I know God does it for me, is that sometimes I will read and hear things, and it's just God speaks through that single moment and just opens my eyes to something or just challenges me in something, reminds me of something that maybe I desperately needed. And so I pray that, that we could come with humble hearts this morning and ask God to do that for us. Can we do that this morning? Can we ask God to humble our hearts and reveal something to us that we desperately need? So Luke chapter 8, starting, I'm going to read the second half of verse 42, and then we'll continue on through 43, uh, all the way down to verse 48. So it goes like this. It says, as Jesus went, the people pressed around him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, talking about Jesus. She came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who who was it that touched me? When all denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowds surround you and are pressing in on you. But Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceived that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for your truths. God, I thank you so much that there is an absolute truth that speaks to the heart of every single person on this earth, every single creation of yours, God, that you have given us a revealed word, an absolute truth, not a fluid truth, not a changing truth, but an absolute truth for us to rest on, for us to find conviction in, for us to find hope in, for us to find instruction in. So God, I pray this morning that we not take your word for granted. God, I pray this morning that it's your words and not my own, God, that it would be the words of a Savior who rescues and not the words of a broken man, but God, let it be yours. Father God, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the opportunity you give us to gather in your name. Lord, I pray you would bless our time together. 
love you and thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So church, this morning we continue this summer series that we've titled The In-Between, where we really take a moment and we focus on these times of waiting that God brings us into. The, that, that any moment of waiting that God has brought us, and the, if the last couple of weeks have shown us anything, it showed us that in the waiting that God is either working or He is waiting for us. And so this morning we're going we're gonna to kind of lean into a moment where we can understand that for us, when we're in times of waiting, when we're in times of waiting, the waiting can lead us down several different paths of searching and trying to find the fix, trying to find the satisfaction, trying to find the, the, the filler for the void that we have in our lives. And so the unfortunate thing is that our greatest enemy sometimes is impatience, right? When we're in moments of waiting, seeking God, trying to figure out where we should be, what we should do, and how we should act, sometimes within our waiting, our impatience kicks in and it leads us down paths of searching to find things on our own, to try to figure out how do we fix this, how do we get this right. And so this morning, if I could subtitle this something, it would be this, Finding the Fix. Finding the Fix. And what we see here, what we see here is just, and, and if you've been around church long enough, you've heard this story, but, you know, th this is such an awesome story that speaks on so many different levels in a way at which I believe we all find ourselves or have found, found ourselves as we're navigating life and as we're even navigating life in Christ, as we're trying to figure this, because the reality of it is, is that our Christian life for us seems like such a mystery at times, right? Like we feel like we're, a lot of times we're trying to figure out things that maybe just aren't quite clear to us. Sometimes, like we talked about last week, sometimes it causes fear. Sometimes it causes doubt. Sometimes it, it stirs things up within us that leads us down paths at which we don't find what we think we're looking for. And so that space of waiting, trusting God in the waiting, like how do we navigate that? And so this morning specifically, what we see is we see a woman who has an ailment. She has an issue. She has a physical issue that she has had for a long time. You know, it says 12 years. We don't know the age of this lady. Uh, we, we don't know. We assume because it calls her a woman that she must be of, of some, from somewhere between teenager to older. You know, so she hasn't always had this issue, but she's obviously had it for a significant amount of time. And so as I read this, this passage, these passages again, you know, just thinking about thinking about the place at which this woman was navigating. You know, and we'll kind of get into some of the, the stipulations of this issue, but, you know, how, how in this time of waiting, figuring out what's next, right? Like we found ourselves there before. We've been there carrying some type of issue, carrying some type of shame, carrying some type of guilt, carrying some type of burden, and trying to figure the fix for it. Like, God, where do I go from here? And so the first thing this morning, you know, when I, when I begin to think about, and this will kind of intro us into the two points, but, you know, when I think about someone with an ailment, you know, I, I think about, like, where do we go to get that fixed? You know, uh, working where I work, you know, uh, we, we have a lot of people coming to the emergency department with a lot of different issues, a lot of different problems. And a lot of times when they come, what we realize is, well, you have this problem because you're lacking something. You're lacking a specific intervention that you desperately need. And a lot of times, especially because us as people, especially men, men is the most common people that I see with this particular issue, is that we're very stubborn as men, right? We like to think like, I'm only going to go to the hospital or see the doctor if I'm like dying, right? My neck or my head is bleeding or falling off. That's when I'm going to the doctor. Otherwise, I'll throw some duct tape on it, some Bondo or something. Like, I'm going to have it figured out. Like, I don't need to go for that. And so the issue that I see in the space at which I work is that a lot of people, especially men, they come in and the thing that they're lacking is a primary physician. Somebody that they go to that knows them, that knows their history, that knows their issues, that knows what they need for management. Somebody they can go back to when these issues arise again or when new issues rise. And they can go back to that person and they can bring this issue to them. And that primary physician is managing all their issues. And then you know what? If they need a specialty 
consult. Then they know where they need to go for that. And so a lot of them, the reason their health issues are exacerbated or they're constantly coming back is because they don't have somebody that is their primary source of their health, that they're leaning on, they're leaning towards. And so as we see this particular woman that, that has had an issue, one of the first things that really caught my eye, and this will kind of move us into the rest of it, but it says that there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years, and though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. 12 years of bleeding. In some regards, we don't know how significant, we don't know how much, we don't, I mean, obviously it's enough that it was affecting her to a particular degree that the Bible mentions it. So I assume that it's a significant issue. And whatever the consistency is, to some degree, it's been consistent enough for the Bible to say it's been for 12 years straight. And so... Looking at that, there has to be some, there, there is significant implications to this issue. So first off, there's the medical or the physical implication to this issue that if your body, even though your body creates what it needs to have, and we're going to have a tiny bit of a biology lesson here, but you know, your body obviously creates its own blood you know, internally. The beautiful thing about creation, the nature of God, how he's made us, is that we're in a sense self-sufficient in how we recreate what we've lost. And so as far as our blood goes, when we lose blood, our body recreates it. But even in that, if you're at a constant state of loss, then your body is going to be anemic or lacking. It's going to be lacking. And so there's implications to that because when you're lacking blood, blood is, it, it, it can cause you, and I don't know if, you, if any of you have ever been anemic before in your life, but it, it affects you significantly, right? It makes you weak. It makes you tired. You lose color. It, may, it, it, it kind of robs from you your drive to be active, to do anything, to participate in day-to-day -day life. So think about that. Let's try to empathize. Let's try to see this from this woman's perspective, the effects that this possible anemic problem that she's having, how it's affected her life, her day-to-day -day feelings of weak, tired, fatigue. I mean, just think about it yourself. Like, I get a cold, and, you know, it's a, it's a joke around my house. Like, if I get sick, like, the world shuts down because I'm, I could have a cold, and I'm like, I'm dead to the world. And then, you know, our wives, they get pregnant, and they live life and run our kids everywhere, and life carries on. But us as men, we literally can't handle a cold. It's a blessing that God didn't make us have babies. But anyway, so, you know, for this woman, just imagining the implications of her sickness as she moves through this, how it affects her day-to-day, -day, her engagement just with life in general. But not only that, but then there's another element to this, a significant element to this that would have greatly affected not only her social life, but her spiritual life, is that because of religious law, she would have been considered unclean. And not only was she considered unclean, but she could not have physical contact with anyone, or she would have, by religious law, made them unclean. And so, you know, the, she, she could not have had physical contact with anyone at the risk of making them unclean, and she could not participate in worship. And a lot of this is kind of laid out in Leviticus 15. You know, and, and, and just like anything, the religious people would take this and kind of take it to the extreme. And so can you imagine... Can you imagine the life that this woman has lived for the last 12 years? Not only the physical side of it, as far as the possible anemia and the effects on her, her, her health, but also her social life. Like she could not engage with anyone in a close proximity at the fear of making them dirty as she felt dirty. Unclean, unfit. And it didn't matter, you know, they would do the offerings and all these things, but she were to have it for 12 years. There wasn't enough offerings to make this better for her. So she could not have this social engagement like normal people could, but not only that, but she was being robbed of the religious experience that she could have potentially had because of this ailment. And so there's, there's all these elements, not only the physical, but also the social and the spiritual elements. 
And so in her searching, what does it say there? How did, how did, she, seek, how did she seek the fix? It says she spent all her living. All her living on finding the fix. And you know what? In, 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 in a lot of ways, it's probably all she knew to do. It's probably all she knew to do. You know, and when it says all her living, we can kind of think of it like this, that her expenses were tied up, that they were spoken for, that all she had was given to all these different physicians trying to find the fix, trying to find the thing that's robbing her of living life physically, trying to find a fix to this thing that is robbing from her social experience, trying to find this thing that is robbing her of experiencing God on a deep spiritual level. There's something there. There's something that's affecting me. And in her time of waiting, it's led her down these paths of trying to find the right physician to fix the problem. But, but what does it say? It says that she could, not, she could not be healed by anyone. She could not be healed by anyone. And I think those words within themselves have significant weight when, when we are in our times of waiting, looking for our fix. Because for us, when we're soul sick, when we're struggling spiritually, when we have something going on in our own lives, when we're navigating our own mess, a lot of times, what are we going to do? We're going to seek our on physician, right? Like we're going to seek, we're going to look out, we're going to try to find the fixes in a lot of different things, in a lot of different types of physicians, right? We're going to look in all these places when we are spiritually unwell, we often go to different doctors, spending time, money, only to not find the healing that we desperately need, right? Well, I mean, what are we speaking about here? We're talking about the doctor of entertainment, the doctor of success, the doctor of pleasure, the doctor of self-help, the doctor of religion even, like trying to find these things to fix the holes, to fix the faults, to fill the voids that we're navigating when we have mess going on in our hearts and our minds, when we're feeling spiritually sick, spiritually weighed down, which ultimately, if we're honest with ourselves, when we have spiritual issues, it affects our physical problems because we, we, it affects our mood, it affects our activities, it affects the way that we parent, it affects the way that we have a relationship with our spouse. So when we're spiritually sick, our impatience leads us to different doctors to try to find the issue. But the problem is, is that we're missing our primary physician. We're missing the one who knows us. We're missing the one who knows our history. We're missing the one who has the fix. We're missing the one that can point us in the right direction. So a lot of times when we're looking, when we're soul sick, and we're looking in all these different spaces to be healed, we'll spend all of our living, right? We will live to find the fix only to find ourselves falling short constantly. I can't find it. I can't find what makes me less anxious. I can't find what will bring my marriage together better. I can't find what will lead me as a parent better. I can't find what will allow me the confidence that I need to step into the spiritual spaces that God has called me to. God, there's something there. And so we go to all these different things to try to find help. And in reality, we have a primary physician in Jesus. And God has called us. He says, I know your history. I know where you've been. I know where you're going. I know what you need. And thankfully for this woman, she finds that in her waiting, in her waiting, despite the crowd that's gathered around, that's pressing in around him, she finds him. She finds the primary physician that she needs. And I love this. She, continuing on. In verse 44 it says, And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment. And so that's, that's significant, this, this, this happening. Because it, it can, there's, there's something that it tells us about this moment. There's something that it tells us. You know, because the thing is, is that there's other points in Scripture when people came to Jesus and asked for healing. In every other moment, they came up to Jesus face to face, and they said, Jesus, heal me. Get man with leprosy. Came to Jesus in Matthew 8. He said, Jesus, heal my leprosy. You know, other instances, you know, with a paralyzed friend, 
What did they do? They lowered him through the roof. They put him in front of Jesus. Like there's this, there's this front and center engagement with Jesus that happened in all these other instances. But then in this instance, we see something else happen. It says she came up behind him. And she touched his garment. So to touch his garment, this kind of this lace around the outside of the, the, whatever he was wearing, she would have had to have been pretty low, right? probably crawling to a certain degree to touch the fringe of his garment in that capacity. And so what that tells me about this woman is that her approach to Jesus was not confident. Her approach to Jesus carried with it a pretty good bit of shame, right? I mean, because what she's known is that I can't touch someone because I'm going to infect someone with this uncleanliness, spiritual uncleanliness, and that they'll have to go through all these spiritual activities to be healed, to be better, and they'll have to be where I am. And so she's carried this socially awkward, socially outcast, religiously outcast mentality about her, navigating all these spaces. And so now she sees Jesus, and in her mind, we can only know because of the way that, because she comes to Jesus. Jesus, but she doesn't come to him and say, Jesus, heal me. She crawls to Jesus. Crawls to Jesus just to get to the fringe of his cloth. And so to me that also tells me something else about her spiritual experience is that there's a little superstition to it, right? Because she's believing like, you know, it's part of like, and we kind of even see this now in some of our modern day Christianity, kind of this mysticism where like spiritual cloths and clothing. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever seen that video of Benny Hinn slapping people with his jacket. You know, if you, you have to look it up, but it's ridiculous. But anyway, but people see and, you know, the, the, this kind of supernatural element to her faith. And she's, if I can just get maybe touch the cloth, maybe the cloth has power to it. So, like, there's flaw even in her spirituality. Like, there's a lot of flaw to this moment. And she's ashamed. She, she doesn't have the confidence to come to Jesus and ask Him. So there's this shame that she's carrying. She was afraid of the ridicule or the dismissal or the rejection. But, but there's also something here. Despite that, Jesus is there. There's a crowd around and the implication is that she's literally crawling to Jesus. Crawling to Jesus to get near to Him. And so even though there's all this potential spiritual confusion, even though she has been deemed spiritually unclean, not fit to be a part of the religious order, and that she's been ostracized to a certain extent. She pursued him. Listen, she had spent her whole life looking to lesser things for the fix. And she finally decided. She came across Jesus. Probably had heard about Jesus for a long time. It's like, I, I need him. I think he's got it. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's his garment. I don't know if it's his spit. I don't know if it's his breath. I don't know what it is. But I think this Jesus has what I need. So what did she do? She crawled to him. It wasn't the boldest approach or the boldest way to approach Christ. But she did it. Why? Because she believed. She obviously didn't have a strong, confident belief. But she had just enough faith to drive her to get near to Jesus because she believed that he could do something. She didn't know what it was, but she believed that he could do something. See, the thing that we have to understand about our pursuits of Jesus is that, that the expectation isn't that our pursuits are perfect, but that they're faithful. That, that, we, that we do believe, even if that belief is to the smallest degree, that we believe he can do something. That we believe that there's something outside of myself that I desperately need. See, the problem is that a lot of people, the reason why that a lot of us, then a lot of people won't find ourselves crawling to Christ in this way is because, like we said earlier, we want to have the fix ourselves. We want to fix it within ourselves. We want to take care of it ourselves. We want to manage it ourselves. And that if we would just realize, like in Matthew 17, when Jesus says, because of your, your little 
faith. For truly, as he, as he said, I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move and nothing will be impossible to you. That doesn't mean that we can literally tell a mountain to move and that mountain will move out of the way. No, he says, but if you will have faith that I can do anything, even if that belief and faith that I can do it is so very, very small, if you will just come to me and you will have that just tiniest amount of belief and faith that I can do it, I will begin to do a massive move of God in your life. And that's what he has called us to. And that's where this woman is at. Even though her faith was so tiny and so unconfident and so afraid and and still laced in shame, still laced in in some maybe some doubt, she crawls herself to Jesus just to get near to him enough to feel him. A tiniest bit of faith to do what? It says that she touched the hem of his garment. This word touched means to lay hold of. Or to attach oneself to. And so what happened because of this touch? In verse 44 it says, Immediately her discharge of blood ceased. According to the day, an unclean person touching someone else would make that person unclean. But it didn't work that way. She didn't pass something on to him. Jesus wasn't made unclean. She was made whole. The problem that she had was now fixed. The issue that had ailed her was resolved. When we come to Jesus with our sin and lay it upon Him, it doesn't make Him a sinner, but it makes us clean. Even with the tiniest bit of faith, even if the way that we come to Jesus is on our hands and knees begging Jesus, please just do something. I don't know what you can do. I don't know if you can do it. But I believe that you can do something. He says that He he will make it. He will make it whole. And it doesn't, and a lot of reasons, you know, a lot of reasons she could have not drawn near to Jesus in the same way that people around us, even ourselves, don't draw near to Jesus because she could have believed within herself, I can't touch him because I'll make him unclean. Jesus doesn't want what I have. Jesus doesn't want me to give him what I've got to give. This is my mess. This is my sin. This is my issue. This is my ailment. This is my sickness. This is my uncleanliness. Jesus doesn't want that. And unfortunately, a lot of times, that's the kind of Jesus that we know. That's the kind of Jesus sometimes we're even told. Jesus doesn't want your mess. Take care of that before you come. You need to fix this before he can fix you. But church, that's not the Jesus of the Bible. That's not the Jesus that this woman found. That was the God that she knew. That was the God that that she believed that that she was unclean, that there was nothing for her. There was nothing for her spiritually. There was nothing God had for her because she was unclean. She had this issue. Sorry, lady. You can't have God because you're unclean. But the problem is, especially for the religious elite, they, 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 they missed the point. They missed the point of the God of the Bible, the God of the... The, the Septuagint, the God of the, the Torah, the, the Old Testament, the God that, that was truly there, the God that, that saved Rahab, right? The God that was present, the God that was reaching out, even though God had his people that he cared for, that the God of the Bible still had mercy, that the God of the Bible still had grace, even for those like a Rahab, a prostitute, who was outside of the Jewish community, that he would bring her in. And so the first thing is this, and we'll wrap down with these two things. But there's a couple things that we have to understand. And the first thing is this, that the fix is intentional, not accidental. And how do we know that? Moving on. In her time of waiting, she sought after Jesus. And it says that her bleeding was immediately fixed. Her problem was fixed immediately. But this fix happened intentionally, not by accident. In verse 45, Jesus says, Who was it that touched me? And then the... Peter and the others, they look around and everyone denies. And they say, Master, the crowd surround you and are pressing in on you. Basically, they're saying, Jesus, like, there's a lot of people touching you right now. Like, what do you mean, who touched you? 
Jesus was in a crowd of many people, were near him, having contact with him. And the disciples didn't understand what Jesus was differentiating between. Like, what do you mean? They're all touching you. They're all coming in contact with you. But this is the difference. The difference is is a significant reality for us. Especially in our times of waiting. In our times of wandering. Trying to figure out what God has for us. What God wants for us. The difference is significant. Because in our pursuit of spiritual fulfillment and satisfaction and guidance. There's a difference that's happening here. Jesus says in verse 45. He says someone touched me. He says for I perceive that power has gone out from me. Now listen. She didn't steal something from Jesus. But there is something that happens here. Because what had happened is many had casual contact with Jesus. Many had bumped into Jesus. Many had possibly put their hands on Jesus to a certain extent. People had had come in contact with him. But no one but this woman experienced healing. Why? Because there's a difference between casual touch and intentional pursuit. And we need to know this. In our times of waiting and trying to figure out our Christian walk and trying to figure out life in general, there's a difference between casual touch and intentional pursuit. The casual touch did not change anyone. The casual touch did not change anyone. There's a huge difference between bumping into Jesus here and there and reaching out to touch, to lay a hold of, to attach oneself to And so this is the question. This is the question. See, there was a crowd of people pressed in around Jesus who were spectating Jesus, but she was the only one who was able to participate in the blessings of Jesus. Why? Because she sought after Jesus with intentions. She sought after Jesus with a pure heart, just needing something from Jesus that she could not do for herself, coming to Jesus broken, coming to Jesus in need, coming to Jesus understanding that what she needed was something she could not provide for herself. Listen, there was a lot of people, a lot of people spectating. But she was the only one participating in what God had for her. Church, so this is the thing for us. You know, it, it, we come here or we engage to a certain degree week after week bumping into Jesus, right? Casual contact with Jesus. But unfortunately, in our, in our ways, in our waiting, in our times of navigating our Christian life, the casual touch just isn't the same. It, 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 it leads us, casual contact with Jesus only leads us to spaces of spectating. And listen, churches are full of people spectating what God is doing. But very few are actually participating in His blessings. Very few are participating. Listen, a lot of us, a lot of times we will spectate people leading without leading ourselves. We will spectate people worshiping without worshiping ourselves. And listen, I'm not talking about extravagant, you know, doing all this physical stuff. I'm talking about a true nature, true heart that's seeking after God. Warren Wiersbe said this. He says, you can be a part of the crowd and never get any blessings from being near to Jesus. It is one thing to press Him and another thing to touch Him by faith. We may not have strong faith, but we do have a strong Savior. And He responds even to the touch at the hem of His garment. Listen, it's not about how strong our faith is. It's about how strong our Savior is. And listen, we can have casual contact with Jesus all day long, but it's that intentional touch of faith. Reaching out, seeking out, pursuing Jesus in faith, believing that He can do exactly what we need Him to do in our lives. And listen, I'm not talking about making us healthy, wealthy, and prosperous. I'm talking about providing us leadership in our spiritual life to show us how to be and how to live and how to give and how to do and how to say and how to react the ways that we need to in our Christian walk. He has that. He has that for us. He has that for us. And listen, and this is just a little, little caveat here, but you know what I love about this moment is that when this happened and Jesus says this, it says, when all denied it, 
Peter said, you know, Peter, one of his apostles, one of his, you know, one of his go-to guys, says, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. Like, they didn't understand it. They didn't understand what Jesus was doing. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. Listen, we need to understand this. We live in a day and age when the main complaint against Christianity is going to be the faults of Christians. Listen, sometimes Christians get it wrong. Sometimes we misinterpret what Jesus is trying to do or what he's trying to say. But, you know, and, and I always have this thought, but I'm, I think to myself, man, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Like, if, if Christians miss the point, and that's the point. We're not perfect. Like, we're not going to be the perfect people for each other. Peter, in this moment, like, he's not getting it. He's not understanding. He's not, he's not grasping the situation. Like, Jesus, nobody, like, there's nothing going on. Like, we can be so kind of consumed and distracted by the crowd. Sometimes we miss the little things that Jesus is doing to the broken people around us. Listen, and so my blanket plea is forgive Christians when they do that. Because they make mistakes, right? We, we miss the point. It doesn't discount Christianity and the hope that Christ has for the church. Listen, the church fails. But we move on. And understand that Christ doesn't. Thank God that Christ sees us crawling on the ground reaching for him, even when the brothers and sisters of Christ don't. Christ sees. Christ knows what we need. Christ knows our deepest desires. Christ knows the touch that we need to have. And Christ knows where we are when we desperately need it the most. And so that's the, the thing. And that thing that we need to understand and the fix that God has for us is that the fix is found in Jesus. And so not only, and the last thing this morning, not only is the fix is, the fix is intentional, not accidental. It's not going to happen through casual contact. It's going ha- to happen. We're going to see it. It's going to be revealed to us. We're going to experience it through intentional pursuit, intentional touching, intentional seeking, reaching for Jesus. The next thing is this, is that the fix leads us out of hiding. And I think this is the thing that scares us the most about it. Is a lot of us want the fix, but a lot of us don't want what comes with the fix. And the fix leads us out of hiding. In verse 47... It says, And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. I love this. When the woman saw that, he was not, that she was not hidden, she came trembling, falling down before him. Finding the fix, finding the true fix, requires us to come out of hiding. She had lived in isolation as an outcast buried under shame and fear because of the problem that wasn't possibly, potentially, more than likely, wasn't even her fault. Just some natural, it was more than likely uh, a, a result of just the natural frailty of her body, some kind of defect or whatever it, she had. But I love this. And I love that the first instance of her being seen, I love this. It says in Mark chapter 5, gives us a little clarity. It says, and he looked around to see who had done it. He looked around to see who had done it. The first time she had been truly seen, probably in a long time, because she had been socially, spiritually, physically isolated and outcast, the first time that she is seen is by Jesus. And I love that. It says that she was not hidden anymore. She was not hidden anymore. And what did she do? I love in this moment that in her not being hidden, she didn't run. She didn't hide anymore. She was seen. She was known. She was healed. Christ had done all this for her. And all the waiting, all the wondering, all the searching, all the suffering led her to this collision with Christ that even though she approached Him in some doubt, maybe she approached Him in some shame and fear, she pursued Him with the smallest touch of faith, the smallest touch of Christ, but it changed everything. It moved her from someone who was isolated and a nobody, who was hidden, who was disconnected, who was socially, religiously, physically isolated and outcast, to someone who was seen. She was no longer hidden anymore, and she knew it. She says, I'm not hidden anymore, and I love her response. And this is such a response of repentance. This is such a response of worship. 
someone with shame, someone with fear, someone with doubt, that had all been resolved now. Not because of her own ability, but because of what she knew, the confidence that she had in Christ in that very moment that He had called her, like 1 Peter tells us, called her out of the darkness and into marvelous light. Listen, the fear, the fear of the fix for a lot of us sometimes is we're afraid of what it's going to reveal. And a lot of times we're afraid of what it's going to reveal about us because a lot of times it's going to reveal about us our problems. It's going to reveal about us our faults, whether it's to us, to our spouse, or even to people around us. It's going to reveal to us our mess, our issues, right? She was in the light now, seen by Christ, seen by all, which can be scary, it can be humbling. But what was her response? What was her response? Falling down before, she declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him, the issue that she had, the problem. The problem that would have motivated her religiously and socially to not touch anyone the problem that had isolated her, the problem that had caused her to be an outcast, the problem that had pushed her to the margins of society. The first thing she did, she acknowledged it. She took ownership of it. She said, this is my mess. I sought Jesus because of this. And listen, that is the hardest thing for us sometimes. The reason why for many of us, we will not approach Jesus we will not even seek after. We will not allow Him in to fix whatever we have because we know, we know we're going to have to acknowledge it. But we have to remember it and what she had confidence in. If we can just have that confidence that Jesus will take it, that Jesus has fixed it, and we, have, we should have no problem to say, hey, I was a mess. I was a mess. I was doing this. I was doing that. You know, I've made these mistakes. I've done these things. I've hurt these people. You know, the hardest thing that we have to do is acknowledge that we've hurt the people closest to us. But sometimes when we engage with Christ and we come before Christ, Christ wants to shine a light on that. Not to bury us under weights of shame, but to use that as a platform so that we can stand on it and say, this is where... God saved me. This is where God relieved my issues. This is where God fixed my faults. And listen, some of those things may still linger. Some of the effects may still be present. But God says that He would use our problems as a platform to stand on, to take steps of confidence forward. And that's exactly what Jesus did with this woman here, is that in the presence of all, she said why she had touched Him. She said, listen, I, for the last 12 years I've been spiritually unclean and I could not come in contact with any person, any religious person, any religious space of worship. I could not bring an offering. I could not have any social interaction. I could not have any physical interaction with anybody. This is where I had been because of my problems. And a lot of people had probably looked at her as if she was cursed because in that day and age, if you had a physical ailment for any significant amount of time, the view would be is that you have that because you've either done something wrong or you're cursed by it, and you're cursed because of it. So she's laying these things out. All these things she had been ashamed of. She didn't have to hide her fault, but she celebrated her fix. She worshipped. The next thing is, that, and she said, and, and how she had been immediately healed. She was giving Jesus credit for She was worshipping in this moment. She was worshiping in this moment. She didn't have to hide her fault. She could celebrate the fix and worship and praise regardless of whether anyone would understand it or believe it. She knew it. Jesus moved her from hiding in the shadows to shouting in the crowd. This is Matthew 10, 32. It says, So for everyone who acknowledges me before men, I also will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. Listen, she's crawling 
knowing that people are seeing her, like she's not hidden. People are seeing her crawl down on the ground, reaching for his garment, but she's still carrying some shame, moving into that moment. Jesus acknowledges the fact that she's there, that she's been healed. She doesn't hide. She acknowledges the the issues, and she worships the fix. The final element of our fix is found in the confidence and worship and acknowledging our faults to celebrate our fix in Christ. That we would celebrate in the crowds our fix. Church, if you're a believer here this morning, Christ has fixed you to a degree. And listen, I'll say that that fix is ongoing. I will never say that the fix is is a fix forever. Listen, Christ is always fixing. That's the beautiful thing about Christ, that He's always working, that His mercies are new every day, that His grace abounds. And so for us, that element for us is how do we, how do we represent that? How do we communicate that? Listen, she communicated it in vulnerability and worship. This was my mess, and this is what's been fixed. This is what God has done to change it. She didn't understand all of it. She didn't know. I I just can imagine that she didn't quite 100% grasp the gravity of who Jesus was or what was happening. But this final element was worship. And what did he say? He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Go in peace. Jesus had never called anyone and he would never call anyone daughter after this moment. He said, daughter... Your faith has made you well, even though that faith was small, even though that faith didn't give you the confidence to stand in front of me and ask, but that faith was just enough faith to crawl to me. And what did he call her? He didn't say ma'am. He didn't say lady. He didn't say woman. He called her daughter. Name of tenderness, of love, of care. Of concern, Jesus immediately in that moment, without knowing her for any significant amount of time, without having to go through proving grounds, without having to check off all the to-dos before she got there, her faith that brought her crawling to that moment immediately gained her access to the family. He said, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And listen, isn't that what we want, right? Calm my anxious heart, Jesus. Peace, completion, fulfillment. She was a part of something now that she, and she was now complete. Church, we spend so much of our lives with a problem robbing us of life. As, As blood is our life source. So many of us spend so much time losing our spiritual life source to the effects of sin. There are things in our life that are making us spiritually anemic, that are draining us. And we're navigating a space of waiting, wondering how how will this be fixed? Where will I find the fix? And Jesus says, listen, I've got the fix, but it's not going to be accidental. It's going to be intentional. Find me. Even if you just crawl to me. And listen, knowing that that fix is going to lead us out of hiding, which is the greatest blessing that we could ever have. Listen, it's going to reveal some things about who we are, our vulnerabilities, our mess, our mistakes. But he says it's in that that we'll find healing. Well, listen, as the worship team comes and we, we end with worship this morning, I want to just say this. You know, we'll go to many different types of physicians to fix what we have going on, never finding the one to heal. So we navigate life very much like this woman, waiting for the fix to our fault to come, passively going to lesser things. But Jesus says, come to him. Even if it's fearful, even if we carry some shame to him, even if we don't believe we should even be there, even the smallest bit of faith that, we, that He can, He will change us. 
He will change us. He will fix. He will fix that, that source within us that's leaking the hope that we desperately need. He will, he will fix the leak that we have that is robbing us of the life source that is keeping us from participating and keeping us spectating. Listen, and it will cause some fear. It will require some acknowledgement of our fault and require us to step out of hiding and be seen in all our sin of vulnerability. But to be seen in repentance and salvation by others is to be seen as sons and daughters of the Savior. And church, that is the great fix that we've been waiting for. We've waited for Christ to provide that fix and He's offered it to us. Listen, and so we move into this place where we crawl to Jesus for our salvation. We crawl, we crawl to Jesus for the fix. We crawl to Jesus to be accepted as part of His family. And then we acknowledge that. Listen, that's why we even practice things, public things of acknowledgement of our faith. We practice baptism, right? We practice public baptism. We practice participating in the Lord's Supper. We practice these things. We practice worship. We practice teaching. We practice engaging. We practice these things publicly. Why? Because of what Christ has done. Listen, Christ healed her privately before anything happened publicly. And so Jesus wants to do that in our life. And in some of you, he has. But then even if you have been saved, some of us, we have this spiritual leak where we're running low. We're running, we're running dry. Listen, even this week, even in my life, from week to week, even now, I run dry sometimes and I desperately need the fix and Christ has it. Christ has it, but he tells us for the Christian this morning, he tells you it will not be accidental. The fix to our spiritual leak, to our soul sickness, will not be accidental. But if we intentionally pursue him, even if it's with doubt, fear, even if it's with, with brokenness, that we crawl back. Even if it's not a bold stand in front of Jesus, Jesus, I need this. If we'll just even remotely believe. Listen, I've had to lean on in my entire life as a parent. Jesus, I, I need you to show me how to be a parent. I'm a bad parent on my own. To be a good husband. Man, I fail at that so often. I've had to go back and back and back. Jesus, remind me. Jesus, tell me again. Like Jesus, show me. Like I've come crawling to him time after time and after time again. And he promises in that waiting, trying to figure out between what we know to do and what we're not sure to do. He says he'll fix it. We find the fix in him. If we'll focus on the right physician, and that's Jesus, follow through with intentions and start living no longer hidden. First, to be seen by Christ, and second, to be seen by those around us. So church, could, we, could you stand with me this morning and let us pray together as we enter into a time of worship and response. And maybe we need to pray, maybe we need to sing, maybe you need to sit quietly and just have a moment with Jesus that we would use this for, as, for nothing else to be intentional in this moment. To engage with Christ, to engage with God and what He has for us, the truths that He has and how He wants to move and work in our own personal lives, the leading, the living, the loving, taking us out of hiding, taking us to the, to the forefront and be seen not for our own good, but to acknowledge, hey, I touched Him, I came to Him because this was my problem and then this is what He's done for be that? Could we replicate that in how we worship and how we engage with Him on a day-to-day, -day? how we lead our families, how we engage with our spouses? So let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you so much. We thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you do. God, we thank you that you willingly and graciously invite us in, that you invite us to touch and to experience you and who you are and what you do. God, that you invite us in to find the fix to the problem of our spiritual soul sickness. God, that, that you offer us a way. And God, whether it's a sprint, whether it's a walk, whether it's a crawl, Father God, I pray that we would pursue you this morning. Lord, in your name and your goodness and your grace, God, let us pursue you and find the fix that we need in you. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you and praise you in Jesus' holy name.